closing time. Time for us to go home to the places you will be from. There you go. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional with the Port Moody Public Library. I am Fiona, and I am joined today by Liz, Sadie, Kareem, and Virginia. Today's topic is one that spans many genres. Today we will be talking about music. Music in books. Now we've got our nonfiction books, like This Is Your Brain on Music, then go into the biography and autobiography category. And then, of course, there's fictionalized music stories. Wonderful made-up bands with a whole universe. So I know we have a variety of different types of music books for you today. And I actually didn't, I didn't decide who was going to go first. Does anybody feel particularly like a go-getter today? I can go first if you want. I can do it. I'll get it over with because I feel like this book has very strong appeal for everyone, except for Virginia. (laughs) Yeah, so um, this topic was, I think for many of us, super difficult to find a book about. But thankfully, um, one of our coworkers, Bridget, had chosen this as her favorite book of 2020. And I remembered that I had read it and I was like, oh, perfect. I'm set. I'm set. I'm set. And this is actually very handy because this book is actually being made into, I believe, an Amazon series coming out later this year. So read the book first. Book is always better, um, except for two notable exceptions. And so this book kind of asks the question, what is needed to make a perfect song? What personalities, what history kind of what things in the atmosphere need to all congeal together to make a perfect song. A song that people sing in the shower, a song that every time you hear on the radio, you turn it up a little bit. How does a song in a year of hundreds of songs or thousands of songs and thousands of great songs, how does one song become a legend? And this book also asks, can two people sing a song? Can they sing and write a love song without falling in love a little bit themselves? So can you separate the fiction from the creator? So this book is about the kind of mysterious meteoric rise of a legendary band who at the apex of their power, selling out stadiums, all the number one hits, um, they were primed to be the greatest band of the 1970s. Suddenly, and irrevocably split and never talked to each other again. So it is about kind of an unnamed narrator who goes along to different members of the band and different people who are connected with the band to figure out exactly what happened. Why, when they were in this kind of legendary 
heightened place did everything fall apart? Was there one thing that happened? Was there little splits or fissures along that? Um, were there personalities who just didn't mesh? What is the real story of why this band didn't get together? Um, this is the book Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reads, and it is about two kind of bigger personalities in the band. Daisy, who was an it girl, who was a dancer, a personality, but she wants to be known for so much more than her body. Um, she wants to be recognized as the artist and musician that she really is. And it's also about uh, Billy Dunn, who is the lead kind of singer, lead personality of the band called The Six that he has with his brother and uh, two other members of the band who is kind of struggling with being out on the road. He learns his girlfriend is pregnant and he kind of goes into a dark place. So individually, these two personalities are good, but when you put them together, something electric happens. And they put out a legendary album and then it all goes wrong. So uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, it is a compulsive read. It was a Reese Witherspoon's uh, book pick and kind of sometimes like Liz, I'm a little like, mm, too hypey. It's got too much buzz. But I pick this one up and, and just polish it off in a day. It is compulsive reading. It makes you want to put on like a Fleetwood Mac record and just like jam out for days. It is just that much of a pleasurable read. So I heartily recommend um, Daisy Jones and the Six for a look at the 1970s, a look at the music business, a look at the history of rock. And I don't think anyone writes about live music and concerts better than Taylor Jenkins Reads. Hmm. Interesting point to end on there, Kareem. Um, can you tell us how you feel about live music? <laughs> Fiona, I said those words to you in confidence before this started. Okay. Oh. Okay. I love music. I constantly have music going. I grew up with music. I enjoy it. It is the soundtrack of my life. I hate live concerts. I hate them. I hate hate them they're too loud you have to stand around they're boring it never sounds as good and you could be at home listening to the perfect track which is already recorded on the cd i don't understand why you would bother you went to all the wrong live concerts so i went to some great and they were fine but at the end of the day i was like yeah but i could just be listening to it at home and the floor wouldn't be sticky so wow what an improvement but I love your segue. That was so good, Fiona. That was just brilliantly done. So Such good. All out. I'm sorry, Kareem. It is. It is. I. I can admit to it. I, I. And even like 18 years old, I was like, I'm too old for this. <laughs> At a certain point at one concert, my facial expression was such that someone, like a total stranger came over and like slid some um, earplugs across the table and was like, I think you need those. And I was Hello. like, yes. Thank you. I feel like that is something as I've aged that I've learned to bring. Earplugs are good. <sighs> All right. Now that I've embarrassed Green on the air, let's move to Liz because Liz is going to talk about, um, I have not a book that I've read, but just like a format that I love. I really think that graphic novels, not to spoil it, sorry, <laughs> are, you know, such a great way to talk about, about music. So let's go to Liz. I love live concerts, by the way. Again, it has to be the right artist that's worth, worth your time and money. 
with a good sound crew as well. So just to put just to put that out there. Um, but anyways, onto the book because that's really what we're here to talk about. Um, so yes, I do have a graphic novel for you today. I haven't talked about graphic novels in a while, but this is a recent read of mine that I quite enjoyed, and it is called Redbone. So it's the true story of a Native American rock band. And this one's by uh, a group of people, including artists and writers, Christian Stabler, Sonia Paloni, and Thibaut Balahi. Now, Redbone might not be a very familiar name to people who are uh, into music today, today's music. It kind of, I guess their legacy has kind of fallen by the wayside, although um, of late there's been a resurgence in interest in their music, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So Redbone first started off with brothers Pat and Lolly Vegas, uh, who were indeed rock musicians who did also kind of dabbled in R&B. Um, now they were part Mexican heritage, as well as uh, self-referred to as part Native American. However, when they were first starting out as a musical duo, they decided to pass themselves off as solely Latino in order to gain a wider audience. Now, this was within the 50s, encroaching into the 60s, um, and they were trying to get gigs in Las Vegas. Well, it turned out they were so talented that they attracted the attention not only of audiences on the Las Vegas Strip, but also by other famous musicians, such as The Doors and even Jimi Hendrix, before he was famous. Now, with their success as a duo, and also with a changing of the times, more of an awareness and more of a traction for what was called the American Indian Movement, civil rights for Indigenous peoples in the United States. They decided, Pat and Lolly, to assemble an all-Native American band. So they decided to fully embrace their heritage, put it right out there, and not only create really feel-good, fun, catchy, rock songs, but also songs of political nature with a political message in order to bring light to the struggle of their people and all the injustices that they have been fighting for for years. So they did get their record deal in 1969, their very first record deal with Epic Records. So this was not a small time deal. They had made it big and they had a platform and released multiple albums bringing light to the American Indian movement. However, as the years progressed and their songs became more political in nature, the record companies back home started to shy away from wanting to produce more of their albums. Now, the Vegas brothers took Redbone over to Europe, where they surprisingly gained a lot of popularity. They even went to number one, with one of their songs in the Netherlands. So despite all that, returning back home, having difficulty gaining traction again on the mainstream airways because they were losing the backing of the record companies, also infighting and conflict, you know, as happens sometimes when bands become super famous, as we found out. Redbone has continued on but more as a project of Pat Vegas um, and not so much with the other members of the group. 
Um, but more recently, there's been a resurgence of listening to their music, of becoming aware of their political activism and um, shining a light on that and honoring that just due to the change in times, um, fortunately. People becoming more aware of diverse voices, not only in writing, but also in music, um, honoring what they sacrificed, essentially, their careers in order to bring the plight of their people to light and on a global stage. Um, and to top it all off, one of their, probably arguably their most famous song, uh, Come and Get Your Love, was featured on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtracks to bring their name and their music to an entirely new generation of listeners. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed Redbone. Um, I thought the art was really interesting and it did have the backing and the cooperation of the Vegas family, as well as Pat in particular. Um, so it is very much told from his perspective, but I thought it was great insight into the struggle of an artist who was trying to reconcile their own personal identity with commercial success and, and how culture ties into basically the commercial music scene, which is fascinating. So again, that's Redbone. It's the true story of a Native American rock band. Thanks, Liz. I've got that on my shelf and now I'm really looking forward to reading it. Okay, so I don't think that any of us chose a biography or autobiography today. So I'm going to turn us to our question of the day, which is, if you could like manifest a tell-all autobiography about a particular musician or band, and you could just have it right now to devour, what would you choose? We can go to Virginia first. I'm wondering if there's an obvious answer. Probably not, just because you probably know I don't read biographies or autobiographies, so basically I wouldn't. But if there was one person that I would just love to get in the brain to find out what the deal is, would be Bjork. I love Bjork, love her so much, and I want to understand her, like what what is going on? So yeah, so Bjork would be my choice. Awesome. <laughs> I, I don't think it would provide any more insight. For I know. Yeah. But just it doesn't matter. Just more of her. Give it is especially give it an autobiography more of whatever she does. Sure. I'll take it. Anything. How would you agree? Um, I think kind of Sadie and I have Sadie kind of mentioned it, but I, I'm not curious about the lives of creators I'm more interested in their content um, and maybe Sadie can speak a little bit more to it later but I don't have to because mine has already been written for me and it was Sir Elton John's memoir me because all I want is hot goss that's all I want I want hot gossip I want behind the scenes madness and I want someone to slag off John Lennon that's all I want and I got it <laughs> All right, Sadie, do you want to uh, weigh in on that? Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so as Kareem mentioned, I I am not a huge artist person. Um, my playlists are, are quite varied. Um, they usually include some songs by legitimate artists, but most often they include show tunes because I am a very big show tune person. Um, I love musical theater. I am a trained musical theater performer, which it's, it's one of my great loves in life. Um, so I quite consistently listen to 
musical theater just in my daily life. So thinking that route, maybe, oh, it's hard to say if I if there's somebody in musical theater that I would like. Um, I used to love Idina Menzel. She is she's turned a little bit to the dark side of fame, um, just a tiny bit when she voiced uh, Elsa in um, in Frozen and has uh, given up her musical theater ways. Um, but I would definitely probably like to, to hear about how she got to where she is um, <laughs> before she sold her, sold her soul to Disney. <laughs> um, uh, also, Anthony Rapp, I absolutely love. Um, he was in the original Broadway cast uh, production and Broadway cast recording of the musical Red. Both of them were, both Idina Menzel and Anthony Rapp were. So they are, they are two that I would like to, uh, maybe if they wrote something together would be really good. Um, and then I think that this has been created, but Leonard Cohen, I am a huge Leonard Cohen fan. Um, so would love to, yeah, to kind of, I don't know if he wrote any autobiographies before he passed um, or if there was just biographies written about him, but. That was, that was more of an answer than I anticipated. There you go. <laughs> All right, Liz, my biography, autobiography buddy, who would you choose? Uh, well, yeah, it seems to be a bit of a trend. I, I don't usually pick up biographies of musical artists. Um, I did read the Elton John one on autobiography just because he seems to be such a just like like Corinne said, the hot goss. Like, I just need to know when it was performed by Taryn Egerton, who did such a great job in the Rocket Man. Um, so it was kind of theatrical in its own way. Usually, if I want to know something about an artist, I'll just Google it for the Wikipedia. Like, you know, how did the Rolling Stones manage to not die all these years ago with all the stuff that they did? But if I had to choose, I think I would want to read a biography of somebody like. Um, Ella Fitzgerald or Nina Simone or like a like a cumulative sort of a look at the era um, of jazz. I really really love jazz. It's one genre that I can just pretty much listen to anything of and be happy and content with that. Um, and also to kind of read more about the struggles that they faced coming up as black artists, particularly during that time, and just how. Um, you know, they would perform for white audiences, but then they couldn't mingle with them after, or they couldn't um, dine in the same restaurant or stay in the same hotel. Um, so I think that would just be really, really fascinating to kind of get some perspective on the personal side behind music. So Liz, sorry, it is how the Rolling Stones haven't died despite taking in all of those substances actually one of the Wikipedia like subtitles in there? <laughs> I think there's been a lot of speculation, but yeah, if they found the fountain of youth somewhere, I don't think they're telling anybody. <laughs> How about you, Fiona? What, uh, what biography would you want to read? Thanks for asking this. <laughs> All right, I'll try not to go on for too long. I don't have a, like, a concrete answer, but I love reading about artists and music autobiography is a particular interest of mine. I don't like I don't have very sophisticated 
music tastes. Um, <laughs> I don't think like I have a great ear or anything. And sometimes for me, just having the context and the personality really, really enhances enjoyment of music. So I really love to know all about the artist and how they feel about their music. And um, there's this series, uh, 33 and a third, and it, it actually like usually talks about a specific album of a of an artist, um, but this one in particular talks about Black Sabbath's Master of Reality by John Darnielle in a fictionalized way, and I just randomly picked it up, and then and now I love Black Sabbath. Like I never would have listened to them before, and then it was this sort of just different perspective that made me it gave me that context for understanding. And, and for me, that just, like, launches my interest in a band. So, to get back to the original question, I don't really know. No, let's go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Huh. Huh. Interesting. And do you do this with all of your music or just, like, ones that you happen to find that you get kind of, like, that contextual information from? Yeah, I think it's more like, you know, I have things that I like already. But then there's some things like, uh, you know, that I pick up just because I'm interested in music. And then suddenly I feel connected to to music that I wouldn't necessarily like. I'm not a big, huge fan. I'm not a big, huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of hip hop, but reading Tupac's autobiography just really made me think about it differently. And now I can listen to his music. And instead of being like, ah, (laughs) like actually appreciate where it's coming from. Totally fascinating. All right. Sorry. Going back to the original question that you were going to answer. <laughs> I like a lot of Canadian music. The Bare Naked Ladies are like really up there for me. And the Tragically Hip. But I think I'd rather like read a tell all about like from a female perspective. Maybe somebody like Joan Jett, who, you know, was a, a female artist in a time where that would have been really tough. And she's had such a huge, long career and influenced so many other um, excellent artists. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Also, because there's a lot of like um, controversy that she hasn't really weighed in on uh, from the early, early part of her uh, career. So I think that would be my choice. All right. Thank you for indulging me. You are all very lovely. Let us get back to our books for today. Virginia, are you ready? I just didn't want to go first early because my book is slightly heavier. So didn't want to start off with a heavy book. And same like Liz, like rarely do I have a shirt that actually fit the theme of the show. So I do have one today and it's got at a live show because live shows are amazing. But anyway, the book for today that I have is by an author that I discovered last year and my pandemic brain decided that I need to reconnect with the weird absurdist postmodern literature that I used to read quite a bit in school so I read probably more literary fiction than I would have in the past many many years so um, the one that I got for today is White Tears by Hari Kundrus. When I uh, got the assignment for this episode and realized I need to find a book for music, turns out that he has a book about music. So that's what I decided to pick for today. White Tears is about two friends that met in college in New York. One of them is Seth, and he's kind of like the average guy. He, he likes to walk around the city and he likes to record the sounds of his 
town. Because when you first experience it, when you're walking there, you miss a lot of things that are going on. And he likes to go back to the recordings and relive those moments and really listen to the things that he missed. And like he said, lots of secrets being told at any moment, we just don't hear it. So he loves to do that. And that kind of caught the eye of Carter. Carter is a trust fund kid. He can buy anything. He can own anything. And lately, he's obsessed with collecting vinyls and records, particularly Black blue musicians. That's what he has been obsessed about. And he he get kind of snobby about it. It's like that's the only music that matters. And because he has money, he can spend thousands and thousands of dollars trying to connect with other collectors and buying rare records, buying rare like session recordings from them. And that's what he's like really into, just that old sound, that analog sound that he doesn't even want to listen to anything digital because those are just garbage, according to him. Because of their sheer love of music, they decide to open a recording studio with Carter's money and Seth's talents for mixing music and editing music and manipulating it. And what they want to specialize is, is trying to make new music sound old, sound like those good old vinyl music, those black blues musicians that they admire and love so much. And they want to turn new music into that. One day they were listening to one of Seth's city recordings and they heard a song. And Seth remembered that day he was walking in the park and he was watching a chess game. But he can't remember having heard music because he would have remembered that, he thinks. There was nobody singing, there was nobody playing music, but it's clearly on the recording. They even went back to the park to try to find out like whether anybody has seen or heard a musician and nobody has seen or heard anything like that. And so they started trying to play with it. They tried to mix that up and Carter became quite obsessed with it. And in the end, they made sort of a whole song out of just that little bit that they have. And then Carter decided to put it online to put it online as a song that he discovered from an old vinyl. And he just made up a name. He just said, oh, this is by the blues musician Charlie Shaw. And he just watched the people on the music forum, you know, saying how amazed they are. Like, where did you find this? This is amazing. This sounds so good. And in the meantime, they're all like, this is just a song that we made up. Then a couple of days later, somebody replied to the comments and he said, can you please tell me what is on the other side of the album? Apparently, this guy told them that he has met Charlie Shaw. Charlie Shaw is a real musician and is somebody that he has met in the 50s. And he has heard that song before, and he just want to know what's on the other side of the album. And of course, meanwhile, Carter and Seth are thinking like, there's no such person as Charlie Shaw. We made that up. We made this song up. And so they decided to go meet with this guy to find out more about this alleged Charlie Shaw musician. This is a story about appropriation, about white privilege, about people that take and claim things for their own 
and then the people who are stuck in such a system where there's no recourse, that they are just have things taken away from them and they have nothing that they could do. It's a literary fiction. It's a little bit of a horror, I, I would say almost, with a kind of a noir kind of feel to this. Once it grabs a hold of you, it takes you down with it. You just go into this downward spiral and it just won't let you go. And it's just spit you at the end and you just feel completely overwhelmed, but completely mesmerized by the writing, by the story, by the ideas that are in it. Hari Kunju does a, such an interesting job blending the present with the past when you're reading it, you're like, okay, well, what's going on? Like, what is happening now? What is the before? What is the after? And you're just trying to make sense of the narrative. And just the way he does it is so interesting. And it's just one of those books you will think about it. Like, and I'm still, like, as I'm kind of preparing for this, I'm still thinking about the book and and just sort of the ideas that are in it. It's, he's such an interesting author. So if you have not read anything by him, do give it a try. It's called White tears and just before i go a little sh little short detour there's a book that is coming out in may a novella it is called the album of dr moreau it's by daryl gregory because it's coming out in may i feel like it's not right talking about it now but the premise of the book is a boy band that is made up of members that are human animal hybrids because they are results of an experiment, hence the title of the book, they became suspects in a logroom mystery where their producer was murdered. I don't know about you, but that's all I need to know about that book. It's also kind of, kind of related to music. So great book. So do check that one out. That is the most Virginia book. <laughs> that sounds right? rad. Yeah. You know, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. Um, Sadie, mm -hmm. I have not heard of the book that you're going to talk about, so I know you said it. Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. What have you got? All right. So my book revolves around love and death. Now, I think that we all know that there are many tragic love stories in history. Love that unfortunately ended in death, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Tristan and Isolde, Anthony and Cleopatra. There are just many, many tragic love stories um, that everybody has heard of. And at times it is hard to have love without death or vice versa. Now, my book starts in the 1920s and it starts with love and it starts with death. And love and death are actual beings. And they have been playing a game. They've been playing a contest uh, for centuries, for millennium, where each one will pick a player. And unfortunately, death has always won. No matter what, death wins and love loses. But this time, this time, love believes that they are going to win. So the book that I am talking about is called The Game of Love and Death by Martha Brockenbrow. And I um, first picked up this book because I heard her speak at a conference once. And the book is set pre-World War II, which is a time that I often like reading about. Um, it is set in Seattle in 1937. 
it involves jazz music and love and flying. Um, and it just, everything, when she was explaining this book, it just sounded uh, very interesting. So I picked it up and I, and I really enjoyed it. So this time around, Love and Death have chosen two young people. Uh, love has chosen Henry and Death has chosen Flora. And they are chosen at birth and in their contest, if Henry and Flora fall in love by their 17th birthday, then love will finally win. If Henry and Flora do not, then death will win once again and Flora will die. Flora and Henry have no idea that they are involved in this contest. Uh, they are just going about their lives. They don't know one another and they have no idea how their lives are going to be affected. Now, these two people are not generally involved in each other's lives. They come from very different worlds. Henry is uh, a wealthy adoptive son of a white upper-class family. Um, he kind of has everything that he could ever want, even though he's not uh, the natural son in this family. They give him all of the opportunities. They give him a scholarship to study after school. Um, they're going to train him to have a job at his adoptive father's newspaper office, he kind of has every door open for him. Flora is the exact opposite. So Flora does not have any money. Flora lives a poor but relatively happy life. Um, she is a, an African-American girl and she dreams of being a pilot. She dreams that one day she will be a pilot and she will get out of Seattle finally. Now, the one thing that Flora does have going for her in her life is that her family owns a jazz club. And at this jazz club, Flora sings every night. And this is where Henry and Flora finally connect. One thing in Henry's life that he loves more than anything else is playing the upright bass. He loves classical music, but his true passion is playing jazz music on the upright bass. So this is where Flora and Henry finally meet. There's initial interest, but not necessarily love. Now, as our story goes on, love and death start to intercept Flora and Henry's lives. The one rule of their contest is that death cannot kill either of the players and love cannot force either of the players to fall in love. But otherwise, they have free reign to do whatever they would like to try to win this contest. So they disguise themselves as people trying to lure one another away, um, away from the other person so that they don't fall in love or trying to distract somebody so that they, the two meet and that they do fall in love. But as their contest goes on, both of them as well as everyone involved start to realize that there is more at stake than just winning a contest. And as the book progresses, love and death realize that these are actually people's lives that they are playing with. And maybe this lifelong contest that they have been having is not the best idea. Uh, so it is a lot of suspense, a lot of kind of great characters, great music. So if you're looking for something kind of historical, um, not necessarily World War II quite yet, um, but kind of in that same kind of timeline, a classic but tragic love story um, that may or may not have a happy ending. Um, I would recommend The Game of Love and Death by Martha Brockenbrough. My book is The Subtweet. 
by Vivek Shreya. This is a book about friendship, about um, the music community, about the role of social internet social media in our lives. It follows Neela, a I'm tempted to say struggling musician. She has been a musician for a long time, but she doesn't mind taking on other jobs or sort of allowing that to be a part of her her life uh, rather than taking an out that maybe would make her more successful. She's extremely principled, very judgmental, and a character that I really enjoyed for some of her passive-aggressive snarky comments. In comes Rukmini. Rukmini is a little bit of the opposite of um, her. She's bright, excitable, um, friendly. She's not shy and guarded the way that Neela is. Rukmini is, is a writer for a small Toronto magazine, and she is also a musician. This is fairly new to her. She makes kind of electronic music and she only does covers. When she does a cover of one of Neela's old songs, it blows up. Everyone loves it. They're crazy about this. Neela is not happy. Something she put her heart and soul into has been co-opted by another artist and suddenly everyone thinks it's great. However, when she finally brings herself to listen to Rachmini's cover, she realizes it's, it's actually pretty good. When Rachmini reaches out to ask Neela for, for tea, Neela reluctantly accepts, assuming that she'll just flake like everyone else in their community does. However, the two do end up meeting and have an intense, immediate bond Rukmini is able to break through Neela's hard outer shell, and the two become great friends. Along the story, there are many other uh, great female characters who come in as friends and enemies. While the first half of the book is taken up with this kind of beautiful and, and intense friendship, eventually... A poor choice on social media creates a wall in their friendship. This book, I don't know, it was like nothing else I've ever read. Vivek Shreya has such a unique voice. She never seems to do anything just because that's easy or that's the way it's done. Everything she does feels so intentional and true to her her own writing. Um, so I'd read some of her uh, nonfiction novellas before and just like absolutely loved her writing. And I couldn't believe how well it translated to fiction. I think I read this over a week and just felt so engaged, you know, thinking about those characters after I put the book down. Um, I'm still kind of reeling over it now. It didn't end the way I thought it would. And I, and I can't decide whether that's good or bad. And I'm just thinking about it all the time. It was a really neat look into like just sort of a fictionalization of the Canadian or of the Toronto music industry. Because Vivek Shreya is a multimedia artist, she also makes music. And so it felt like she had this really good foothold in, in what 
the community was like. She didn't have to stretch anything. It all felt very natural. It's also the the, the characters, um, or at least uh, Neela, is of Pakistani descent. And the book really focuses on brown women, their place in uh, the music industry, their friendships together, and the way they are pitted against each other. So it was like both just like great characterization about friendship and then also like sort of a a deeper look into things in the music industry but not in a way that said this is how it is in a way that said everyone has their different perspectives and I really appreciated that we had characters who who were so sure about things and then you flip to another voice and another character was just saw the events entirely differently I really really loved that sort of like this approach that that said, um, you know, nothing is concrete. Everyone uh, sees things the way they see them. And, and that just showed off so well in this book that like had multiple voices. So I loved it. And then it brought me to um, Vivek Shreya's Spotify page, because like I said, she's also a musician. I've been meaning to listen to her stuff for a while and was like so pleasantly surprised. Uh, she has a beautiful back catalog of very different things. But she also has like written some music from the book. Uh, So you could go and listen to the things that they kept talking about in the book. Because I did find that interesting. It's all about music, but you never actually get to hear it. And then to like turn it on and be like, oh, this is this is what that character's voice would sound like. And she also has uh, she's written many other books in different like genres and forms. And she has a whole bunch of them available to listen on Spotify. So I'm going to go and listen to her um, book before this, She of the Mountain, which is also fiction. I think it's a little more experimental. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I love this book. And I think it has maybe made me a lifelong Vivek Shreya fan. I'm just going to keep following her work. And I can't wait to see especially what fiction she puts out next. All right. I feel like we covered a lot today. <laughs> we covered a lot? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh huh. <laughs> so hopefully, listeners out there who are looking to maybe read a little bit about music can find something among our wide, wide variety of books. Our playlist. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Stop it! Stop <laughs> it! I'm so proud of myself right now. <laughs> Does anyone have any last words for our music-themed show? Want to sing us out, Sadie? Choose a choose a show tune that we can get some oh, infringement on. <laughs> <laughs> no show Here's tune, but we always have closing time. Time for us to go home to the places you will be from. There you go. <laughs> that used to be the song for the other library that I used to work at. That's the, like, get people out of the library song. So I'm traumatized by that song. (laughs) Fair. That's fair. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, we'll give Virginia On that note! Oh, gosh. (laughs) Someone mute her. Mute her. (laughs) (laughs) Just remove her from the stream. (laughs) I've been kicked out of the band. You'll never know who did it. <laughs> it's like the Among Us. <laughs> All right.
Okay, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that you have found a new read. We will see you next week for another exciting chapter. Ah. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.